Welcome to Forward Progress live here on the Forward Progress YouTube channel and part of the Hammer Betting Network. Today's show is going to feature a variety of topics again. We're going to talk roster cuts and we're going to take a final look at the futures markets heading into the year. And if you stay tuned to the very end of this video as well, I will be announcing our Forward Progress schedule for the upcoming football season. So stay tuned to the end. I'll go through day by day what we're going to have on the network. And as a general reminder, we often preach line shopping here on Forward Progress. It is a critical aspect of sports betting. We would never consider betting without Pinnacle as one of our sportsbook accounts because of their everyday competitive odds. Bet smart, bet Pinnacle, your trusted sportsbook for the past 25 years, and use code HAMMER when signing up as it does help promote and support the show. You must be 19+, plus, not available in the U.S., and as always, Please play responsibly. We'll bring in today's crew here. Some of the usual suspects. Top right corner, G-Stack George. Bottom left, Jeff Feinberg. Probably very nervous about the Chargers season already. Bottom right corner, Eric Eager of Sumer Sports. Uh, make sure you check out Sumer Sports both on YouTube and uh, the website as well. A lot of interesting tools becoming available that I got to uh, beta earlier today. So stay tuned for that. Guys, let's get right into it. We'll get to futures later on in the show, but yesterday we saw our final roster cuts, players put on the physically unable to perform list. I think probably the most surprising for me, I don't want to speak on everyone's behalf, but was the Patriots cutting all quarterbacks that were not named Mac Jones. I mean, looking at the roster right now, Bailey uh, Zappi gone. I mean, he was in there last year, uh, 24 years old, showed some signs of life, was a fourth round selection but he's out of the situation. Malik Cunningham was mostly used as a wide receiver in preseason. He was a dual threat quarterback at Louisville, but he's gone as well. I think there's an important conversation to be had here about the Patriots and specifically like, what are we doing here type of conversation? I'll, I'll throw it to you, Eric, to lead us off, but your reaction to the Patriots uh, cutting all their QBs other than Mac Jones. Yeah, I think on one end, it's like, Bill Belichick's entire career has been doing stuff to like dare the league to be smart. And then they just won't. And so leaving like, you know, a quarterback like Bailey Zappi um, on waivers to me was just like taunting the league with a pretty good backup quarterback. They decided to let him go through They you know, the Patriots able to stash him on the practice squad. But it also shows that like Belichick is kind of, I think, valuing the wrong things. Like he, he's, you know, preferring to have special teams players, you know, at the back end of the roster than a guy that he could develop at quarterback. And, you know, you come up for air and you're like, well, why aren't quarterbacks developing that well in the NFL? And I think this is one example why, like they just, they're discarded and then they kind of don't get to stay in the same scheme very often. And I know the practice squad adds some level of protection for the team, but if another NFL roster were to come, you know, come and want Bailey Zappi, like the Patriot, he could be plucked off the roster and the Patriots like kind of, they have some power over it, but not a ton. And to me, it's just like, it's a weird thing. It's Belichick kind of knowing the league and knowing kind of how silly they are, but it's also a silly move by Belichick as well in terms of what he values. Yeah, George, I think that's interesting because obviously we had all these years of Belichick and Brady. And it's funny because when Brady left, there was the conversation was like, well, Brady's overrated. He was propped up by Belichick for all these years. And now we're kind of seeing these years of Belichick making a lot of questionable moves, whether that's through the draft you know, uh, drafting players much um, higher than they were expected to go. Cole Strange being an example. 
cutting quarterbacks that potentially still have some value. What's your take on the Patriots situation, specifically Belichick? And and honestly, let's talk a little bit about this year for them as well, because this is like the consensus number four team in the division, right? No one's talking about the Patriots having a chance. Like, is this a year where they surprise people or is it like, are they really this bad? All right. So two things come to mind when uh, Sean Payton went out and like uh, publicly bashed another coach in an attempt to instill some confidence in his quarterback. I thought that was the ultimate. I never could believe I'd see it before. And then Belichick went and cut every quarterback on the roster to improve Mac Jones's confidence. That being said, I remember a time when Bill was so far ahead of the league, like he, that fourth and two decision before it ever became a thing. I remember Bill would always hire left uh, footed punters because the spin on the ball was different. Bill was so far ahead of the curb. And it feels like the whole league has gotten smarter. And now it, it almost feels like Bill's Bill's edge is gone. And I like the Patriots roster. When I, when I look at them, like, I really like this defense. I think they've got a good trio of pass rushers. I like their secondary a lot. One of my notes I had was uh, the O-line is the biggest question for me, and especially the tackle group. Then I saw that uh, Bill went out and made two trades for offensive linemen this this week, and I said, uh-oh, that, that signaled to me that Bill doesn't trust Trent Brown, Connor McDermott, Calvin Anderson, and Riley Reef, and he's he doesn't feel he has enough good bodies in the room. So when I see that, and I, and I start to see a little bit of doubt from Bill Belichick to the point that he's got to cut all quarterbacks so that he can add as many offensive linemen as possible – that makes me think that Bill's not uh, as um, as confident what he's got going into the roster this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think last year throughout the season, it was pretty clear that, I mean, I, I guess not pretty clear, but in my eyes, seemed like there were lots of times where he had quote-unquote lost confidence in Mac Jones or maybe just didn't open up the offense like you typically see some teams do, even in situations where they were trailing and... You know, I really wonder about the state of the franchise going forward. This is the year, obviously, that they're putting their faith in Mac Jones, like show me something type of situation. But Jeff, I'll throw to you. And like, do you think that there's anything there with this New England team? Like, do they have the capability of actually surprising this year? I don't know about surprising, but their floor is higher than any shitty team because of how good their defense is, because they will always have a coaching advantage. So any notion that they're going to like be involved in the bottom barrel is impossible. Bilicek will catch a team and a coach off guard at least once or twice and win as an underdog, and I'm sure they'll find a way to some coin flip games. Zappi just felt like Mac Jones light, and maybe Belichick just wants a more of a veteran quarterback um, there if Mac Jones struggles, as opposed to Bailey Zappi. You know, if I had to like play a game where it's like, let's just go around the table. Do, do we think Belichick is the coach next year? I mean, th that like that would be in the look ahead game from Kyler and Caleb. I think the question I'd put ahead is, is Belichick there next year if they win six games. I mean, I isn't it like Belichick is there for life at this point? I mean, I don't maybe maybe I'm I'm out to lunch, but like I just feel like you do what he's done. And you just get to run the team into the ground until for as long as you want, basically. I kind of agree with Jeff, though. I think the team or teams that don't make the playoffs out of the AFC East, unless it's Buffalo, but even then, I think expectations are so high there. I think 
Jets, Dolphins, and Patriots are all blowing the thing up if they don't make the playoffs this year. I can see Sala being on the like the hot seat. Proverb like they bring in the quarterback that they exp- like. Whatever you think of Aaron Rodgers and his prospects for this year, whether he can have you know turn it around to the seasons from a couple years ago, I think Sala's on the hot seat. All the stuff with McDaniel, I think that's leaked in the last month where he speaks too slowly, takes too long to process questions, is starting to really irk some people in the organization. I could see that. And I, I think expectations are going to be high there as well. I think that there's way more uh, pressure on those guys to have a good year because of the expectation. Like no one's expecting anything out of New England. That's why I feel like Belichick might just get a pass for a bad year. I'm I'm also oddly conflicted. Like I, when I do my power ratings, I have New England right in the middle. I think they're a league average team with a very difficult schedule. We even saw some money come in on them this week, even despite the news that Jonathan Taylor isn't going to play week one or the first four weeks. The line went from four and a half to three and a half. So there was some money that came into the market on New England. Uh, I think they're going to be a feisty team. I, I I don't think even if they only get the seven wins, I think they're going to be a highly competitive team in a lot of games. It's interesting. Well, let, let's go around. it. So highly competitive. Like I, I'm I'm out on New England. I am. I just think that they're a little bit too conservative in nature. If they're going to rely heavily on their defense, we know how defense varies from year to year. Like, you know, having a good defense the year before is not exactly uh, a predictor of future success on the defensive side of the ball either. I don't see a lot that I like from them on the offensive side of the ball. And I look at the schedule. There's a lot of games here where they're going to have to match scores, in my opinion. And whether that's Mac Jones, in my opinion, being well below average, or the offense just being flaccid, I think is maybe the best way that I can put it. I know you got Bill O'Brien there now. That might change things. They didn't really have a real offensive coordinator in the past. But I don't know, guys. Like, I, I don't, I could see catastrophic year for New England. Like, I know everyone's like the floor is, is so high because of Belichick. I don't agree with that. Like, I, I could see three wins for the Patriots. I don't see them getting to the competing with the last place in the AFC South and even the Raiders for the worst record in the AFC. They might have the third the third worst record in the AFC, but I still think it would be a gap between where New England is and where last place in the South and what I assume uh, the Raiders may find themselves. But I don't disagree with, in totality, your thoughts on the Patriots other than the bottom out. So... My numbers actually have them the only and a little high on Richardson. So put that with a grain of salt. It's slightly, it's like right tied with Indy because Indy has such an easy schedule. And then it's just Tennessee and Houston that have worse. So I, I agree with Jeff. Like they might be the third worst team in the AFC. They might still win seven games. And, and those two things are probably not all that incongruent. Also like a couple uh, hallelujahs to the rain gods and, one or two monsoons and weather games and still adds three extra wins on that schedule that you couldn't prepare for. But, the, but that, is that, that I mean, so they went eight and nine they've since, since Brady, it's seven and nine, 10 and seven and blown out in the playoffs. And then eight, and nine, I guess like, you know, I mean, we're, we're kind of just picking around that median there a little bit. Right. And, and that seems reasonable, but also just not like, Mac Jones is just simply not a competitive quarterback in the AFC, right? Like, uh, let's face facts here. It's it's tough, but you know, 
that to your point, George, it's like there's a lot of things that Belichick tends to win on the margins. I just don't know if they're going to be in the fat enough of the distribution for that to mean 10, 11 wins. No, I, I can't. I actually think they're more rigid. I think it's pretty narrow, their range of outcomes. I don't think there's a bottom and I don't think there's a top. I just think there's a nice uh, heaping of average. Which is arguably the worst place to be, right? right. Like in yes. that proverbial... I don't think it's, of, argu it's arguable. It's, yeah. Like it is the worst place. It's the to be. worst place from a team or as a fan. Like that is the worst place you want your team to be in that no man's land, not getting first overall or a top pick and not really believing your team. Is it better, Jeff, though, than having like a quarterback with an amazing arm and a coach that knows at least knows what to do on fourth downs, but then it not ever happening? What, what, what? Well, the, the shots are coming picking out. The, picking the scab right yeah, now. Like, I, I, it's a good question because I, I feel like I can envision the Chargers winning the Super Bowl, whereas I can't envision the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. So in some sense, it's got to be better to be a Chargers fan, even though I feel like the failure for the Patriots, if it happens, will never be as spectacular as the failure for the Chargers if it happens. Is that... I mean, yeah, you yeah, know, but the Patriots don't have the ceiling, but um, I just mean, if you don't, I would obviously rather have a team that can compete in the playoffs. I just, if my team doesn't have a chance to win, I want them almost competing with Arizona at this point. Uh, and especially where the Patriots are, it does seem like Kraft has given Bill like one more chance. That was such an embarrassment last year with Patricia and the offensive coordinating situation. And he's given him like a full go to redo it. And I think after this year, it would be enough time where Kraft's patience, I think, is up. Yep. I mean, the Patricia stuff is, will always get me. I don't know how that guy was like sending, going to send rockets to the moon with NASA, but he can't figure out like how to, to call offensive plays in the NFL with all the data that he has. I will never, I'll <laughs> never get the Patricia stuff altogether. I did want to point out that comment from Patrick. So the, the Patriots took money. So, Patriots are four and a half point dogs at home week one to the Eagles. That's down to three and a half. There are some, I'm not a big trends guy. I will share it with the audience, but there is a trend floating around there that I've seen a lot this week, which is the Super Bowl loser in the first game of the next year, which is now in the last 23, four and 19 against the spread. So the Eagles fit that mold. Now that also means in the last 24, it's five and 19 against the spread. So let's, let's, you know, put some context there as well. But there is something floating around there, and the Patriots are catching money week one at home. Other situations, guys, from yesterday, we've talked a lot on forward progress in the last month about the Cincinnati Bengals. What's the deal with Joe Burrow? Well, they cut down to two quarterbacks yesterday. It's Joe Burrow and Jake Browning on the roster. Trevor Simeon does not make the 53-man roster. Uh, Pinnacle currently off the board in this game, as are some other books right now. But we did see a small move from one and a half to two and a half, not quite to three at the current moment. I'm wondering if we're going to see a three in week one and like whether or not there's still going to be these questions about the Bengals for the first month of the season and the health of Joe Burrow. Because clearly, I think cutting down to two quarterbacks, George, from an organizational perspective, I don't think they would do that unless they had the utmost confidence in Burrow. Yeah, no, Joe Burrow's probably going to play i remember when the injury happened and the number moved off three and then i start going through like three different uh ways of thinking i go what's the number if burrow's fully healthy what's the number if burrow's diminished and what's the number if burrow's not there 
So I'm preparing for all three scenarios. Um, and I came back to the conclusion that uh, Burrow's going to be diminished. And I don't just mean that from a calf injury standpoint. I'm talking about like lack of practice during the offseason. They experienced it last year during uh, when he had his appendix removal and he threw five picks against the Steelers week one. It's one thing to not play your, your QB in a preseason game. It's a whole other thing for him not to be practicing with everybody during that time. And, and so much of what since he does is rhythm passing Burrow throws to a spot and trusts his receivers will be there. Like last year, Burrow led the league with the least amount of time from snap to throw 2.2 seconds per throw per, per snap. So this is a guy who who picks a spot. He throws the ball. He trusts his receivers are going to be there. And if they're just a little bit off, uh, you can you can create some high variance situations. So I'm certainly hoping we get a three because I believe Burrow is diminished. I make it one and a half with a healthy Burrow. So I, I make it a bigger edge uh, with a diminished Burrow. And, and I'm looking to get on Cleveland if I can get that three again. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's going to be incredibly challenging to get a three because I think if they pop up, they just get swooped right away, right? Like if, if we get to three here, you need Bengals to win by four to win your bet on the road at Cleveland week one. I don't know, does not seem like a great bet to me. Jeff, I want to get your thoughts on the Bengals. We did a draft the other night uh, for the Mayo Media Network where we went snake style and everyone got to pick teams, five of us, six teams each. And you just sum up your win totals at the end of the year. In the first round, Jeff took the Baltimore Ravens over the Cincinnati Bengals. Second round. Oh, second round. Sorry. Yes. Second round. I was round. on the ladder. I had the fifth pick. I took the Bills fifth and I took the Ravens uh, second. I really yeah. do like Baltimore. I think Lamar is going to be a monster. I also admitted we did the draft really late at night and I might have forgotten about Cincinnati. I owned it on the draft. Okay. I owned it. I didn't like try to hide it. I owned it almost right away. Um, all that being said, after the conversation we just had about New England, do we really learn anything by them just keeping two quarterbacks? I mean, let's say Burrow is going to be out week one. Are they really storing who would be their third quarterback who no one else would pick up? Wouldn't they just finagle the roster for the moment to take advantage of that extra roster spot in the 48 hour period or, or extended, I guess Eric could speak to that more. Uh, but when George first mentioned, I'm like, Oh yeah, for sure. Burrow. But now that you talk through how dumb the quarterback rule is, and you probably could just hide your third quarterback almost anywhere right now. Do, did we learn anything by that? I, I don't know that we necessarily, well, Eric, you can speak to that. A yeah. Little bit. I, well, they picked up Will Greer off of the Dallas practice squad. He had a pretty good preseason. He was pretty well regarded coming out of West Virginia. So, uh, but I agree with you. Like it, the NFL teams, there is not a, a group of people that respond to incentives more slowly than NFL teams. So you look at the new kickoff rule. Now, hopefully they wise up for the regular season, but they basically ignored that in the preseason. Um, and the third quarterback rule, like there's a very clear like reason why you should want to use that to develop a player as opposed to not. But yeah, to your point, they're not like most of these teams are operating as normal. So I do think like I'm hearing things out of Cincinnati that he's healthy. Like then he's just they've just been kind of you know messing around and and not showing anything. But I don't actually think cutting Trevor Simeon was that big. Like Trevor Simeon stinks. So like I don't even think it was that big of a signal that Burrow's playing, other than the, the fact that we've the people around Cincinnati have been saying that he's been healthy for a, a few weeks now. 
the only person that responds to incentives less than NFL teams would be Joey Kanish, as we've been trying to get him a free microphone for the last three months, <laughs> and he just refuses to accept it. That's the only person on the planet. He could arm a $200 sure microphone, and he hasn't yet, and what a, what a clown. I, I mean, we've been trying to get his address. He's been telling us he's got a mic, but the cord is like, it's been a shit show. But for those, we actually are shipping him a mic today. It should be there for the Friday show for Hit the Books. So you don't have to like turn the volume down anymore, put in headphones so that like your significant others, like what the hell are you listening to type of thing. Hit the Books on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Monday and Friday with Kanish and Powers, Wednesday with Parker. Sumer sports guy and uh, Douglas farmer as well. Um, all right, guys, I want to keep, keep it moving here. A lot of stuff happened yesterday, uh, but I think the Von Miller situation was kind of a surprise to people that he's going to start the season on the pup list. I could be out to lunch on that, but I really didn't expect it when I was doing my homework for the start of this season as well. He's obviously recovering from that uh, ACL injury he had on Thanksgiving against the Detroit lions last year. Just the Detroit Lions, just a painful team for all of us, including Von Miller. He's 34 now, signed with the Bills at the start of free agency last year. It was a six-year deal, I think 120 million bucks. But for you guys, and we'll start with Jeff on this one, like how much of a tangible impact do you think that this has? Like, is Von Miller worth anything to the point spread for you? Does it impact your opinion on the Bill season as a whole in terms of futures? Walk us through your thoughts on Von Miller starting on the pup list. Well, I'll, I have to plead guilty like you, Rob. Um, and this could have been obvious to many, but uh, that one sort of caught me by surprise. Maybe there were reports out there that that was certainly uh, possible, but you know, it, what, it's jets, Raiders, commanders, dolphins. I don't yeah. think it's crippling to the bills. I think they'll come out of that uh, ahead to be perfectly honest. So it doesn't really change my early outlook, but I don't know. I, I, I am very high on the bills this year as many, and that's an obvious statement, but I do believe they are fragile in a sense. So I do worry about them falling behind the eight ball, but it, it doesn't change my opinion that I think they win the division and, and are the one seed in the bill in, in the AFC. Ooh, just crapping on Eric's Chiefs right there. One seed in the AFC. Well, right there, right there. Like I, one, I two, it's all like right, like neck and neck. They'll be right in that mix. I, I'm similar on the Bills, by the way, especially relative to Kansas City, given what I'm heard, I'm hearing out of Chiefs camp. I think this this has been baked into the market, though, for a while, right? Because we, we saw that the Bills were open like about minus one, and now it, it trended towards Buffalo on the road against the Jets even look at like the futures market, there's not, hasn't been much of a change with respect to Buffalo winning uh, the Super Bowl or the AFC. So I think it's been priced in. I, I think to Jeff's like broader point, if they can get through the first, like, cause they have guys like, um, you know, they have guys like Rousseau that they have to yep. uh, develop. They have guys like Ed Oliver that they just paid a lot of money to. They have to think about breaking in a new play caller in, in Sean McDermott. Um, and, and and they have to lean on their secondary a little bit more than they have in the past because doing a, it did a poor job relative to expectations last year. And so I think that if Von Miller, I mean, shit, we you know sits out to like week eight, right? Then I think it's beneficial for everybody, similar to the Los Angeles Rams in 2021. And and so I think when you're if you're Von Miller, you kind of have like the perfect life of an aging edge player. You're still making a ton of money, and you don't have to play more than half the year. 
Yeah, George, I want to get your thoughts on this as well, because what Eric's saying makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I think the Bills will be fine without Von Miller, but if they can get him back for the stretch run of the season and the playoffs, we're talking about you know a huge difference maker at that point one way or another. So curious what you think of Buffalo going into the year. Yeah, uh, they want one goal, Von Miller, to be starting for them come playoff time. I thought when they signed Leonard Floyd to play opposite a Greg Rousseau, it was signal that maybe we want to A, lighten the load for Vaughn and get him in a rotation, and B, he might not be ready because it was a late-season injury. He's an aging player. So uh, when I look at it from a, a one-game perspective, I don't downgrade the spread with Vaughn Miller out. I, I think of Vaughn as a like totality, what's he worth to the team for a stretch run for a group of games. So there, there's people who will point to Buffalo's decline in defense last year after Vaughn Miller got hurt and point and say, hey, He's very important to their defense. But my counterpoint to that is Greg Rousseau also had a high ankle sprain around November. So now both your edge rushers are hurt or not playing. And the secondary by that point was just a sh in, in shambles. So uh, Micah, Pide was, Micah Hyde was out for the year. Jordan Poyer, like you heard stories of him like having to get driven to the game because he couldn't fly because his body was going through so much trauma just so he could be healthy every week. So I, I don't believe... Um, that Von Miller is as big an impact on, on a weekly basis. I think they just want him healthy for the end of the year. Was Jordan Poyer flying frontier every week or something like that? I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I guess I have never played football before, but it seems like uh, we got our second Thomas Dimitrov appearance here on forward progress in the last few weeks. I'm a big fan of that as well. Um, <laughs> listen, guy, honestly, I'm probably in the camp of, I think it does have more of a tangible impact even early on in the year. I was kind of eyeing Bills Monday Night Football minus two and a half at the Jets week one. I'm a little bit more gun shy on that now. This is more of maybe a, an anti-Jets thing than anything for me. But if we just look back to last year, I mean, Von Miller played in only 11 games. He tied for the lead uh, of the team in sacks with eight. He led the team with 38 pressures. Pass rush win rate was 23.6%, which is extremely high. His pressure percentage, 14.5%. Like, you just can't replicate that production. And overall, I have more concerns about their defense early on in the year without him. I still think that Buffalo is going to be very good this year. If we're looking at, like, market power ratings, uh, we do have sites like Inpredictable and other sites out there that will try to, you know, estimate where teams stand in the market. Typically, you're seeing the Chiefs a full point better than the Bills right now heading into the year. I mean, I don't agree with that. Like, think of where we were three quarters of the way through last season and how we were valuing these teams. And there's been this huge shift because of the Chiefs playoff run. I, I don't know, guys. I mean, I, I Buffalo seems to be like they're that team that just seems to I, I grew up in the Toronto area as did Jeff and George. we got three Torontonians here with like. Bill's fandom runs wild around here. So we're just used to seeing their fan base continuously get disappointed. And like, as weird as it sounds for a numbers guy to say this, it al almost always makes me think twice. But like the expectations for this team this year, in my opinion, are are lower than they've been in a long time with such a good roster that, you, you know, we look at the market implied power ratings right now, 0.7 difference between KC and Buffalo. That's dropped a bit maybe because of the, the Chris Jones uh, situation as well for Kansas City. But I don't know. I think that this team is like could be the best team in the NFL heading into the year, and like expectations just seem so low for them. Rob, they're they've been the best team in the NFL for two years now. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Their expectations haven't, I mean, yeah, to Eric's point, from the moment they lost that game with the 13 seconds in Kansas City, they were the favorites. Um, there were two rounds of playoffs that still went on after that. And they were the favorites the next year. Like, no one cared. And they carried that pretty much through, what, Josh Allen getting banged up last year. And to be honest, it pains me to say, because you mentioned we're close, like I feel the Buffalo fandom around me in my inner circle. They'll have a great season, and they will be in that position again to break the mafia's heart. Like, that's exact. they will do everything right but that will put them in a position to break everyone's heart again. And whether it be Burrow or Mahomes or God willing Herbert or to our Rogers or name them NFC, AFC North, someone's going to break their heart again. That's I, why, uh, that's how it's ending. I went to the barber shop today. And one of my favorite things about uh, talking with my barber is I just pull the string and listen for an hour. I'd say, what do you think about the NFL this year? <laughs> And the reason is uh, oftentimes his opinion is crowdsourced from everybody who he cuts all week. And I, I like to, because sometimes you get caught in your sharp bubble and you're only hearing smart opinions and everyone loves the Packers right now in the sharp bubble. So I like to find out what everybody else is talking about. And he said about three things about the Bills to me today about their curse. They can't get over the hump. They're just not uh, as good as they were last year. And I'm like, yeah, that seems to be the general public sentiment around the Buffalo Bills this year. That was true, That's by the way, about the 06 Colts. Uh, like they kept getting knocked off by the Patriots, Patriots, and they got like they got beat by the Big Ben Steelers. And then it's like, oh, they can't win the big one until like it's Eric. all right. Like it's all about being in the basin of like five or six teams that can win one and then like flipping coins. That's all. That's all it is. That's how Kansas City does it. That's how New England did it. Ten straight AFC title games. Like. It's just the it's it's how it goes. It's also aided by the Jets captivating so much this offseason with Rodgers and other high profile moves, and the Dolphins being as interesting or fascinating a team as there is in the league, really. Yeah. So it's like as football fans, we're like, oh, we can get real. We're like trying to like pick which one of them will upset the Bills instead of just being like, oh, you know what. It's probably still just the Bills. But you know what? The same thing happens with the Chiefs every year, too. Like Last we, we, year, for sure. Last I, year. I, I kind of feel like every year is the year that the Chargers are going to dethrone the Chiefs. Like and now, <laughs> sorry, Jeff, to bring this up. No, no, last year was for sure. That noise, the, the Hill trade, it, there, the Chargers offseason, there was so much noise that last year was the year. Uh, George, you were Mike wanted to jump in on the 06 Colts. I think I think I know what you're going to say in I, regards to that. So I'm a Peyton Manning truther, and I have loved him for as long as I lived. And he drops back and throws a pick six to Asante Samuel in that game. And I'm going to tell you something. I went to the bathroom, I splashed some water on my face, and I and I looked in the mirror and I said, "This guy is never going to freaking do it. He's just never going to win." And you got to remember, I'm a Dan Marino Dolphin fan. I'm like, I'm just reliving my worst nightmare all over again. And then he just leads this insane second half comeback, uh, score every drive, the the, and they get over the hump and they win the Super Bowl. It's it's like you can't get over the mountaintop until you finally do. And like Michael Jordan experienced this for six seven years, everybody doubted him, and then once he won the first one, it was good night. I'm also a Peyton Manning truther. I will always maintain that at his peak, he was better than Tom Brady. No one will convince me otherwise. And on top of that, 
I can only imagine what his career would have been like if he wasn't saddled to Tony Dungy for all of those years. <laughs> like, honestly, you, I watch Tony Dungy do commentary now and I'm like, this is, this was the guy, like he was one of the guys for so many years. Anyways, that's just me being arrogant and telling people I could do better. I'm not saying I could do better. I'm just saying Peyton Manning could have done better. Um, all right, guys, I want to go through the current futures markets at Pinnacle right now. Um, some people might say, well, isn't this a terrible time to bet futures? We got the season a, a week away. Well, I would say, generally speaking, you do want to get down earlier. It's your best chance of getting closing line value. With that said, these markets are not super sharp. Pinnacle's taking, looks like 675 Canadian on these markets. 500 US or so would be the equivalent. And I look at some of these markets like NFL MVP, and I see Trey Lance has the exact same odds as Kirk Cousins. Like the market, let's just say, could be it could be a little bit more efficient than it is right now. So, guys, let's let's kind of go through some of these markets rapid fire style, and we'll start with the NFL MVP and see if there's anyone on this list that potentially excites you at the current market prices here as we approach the year and I'll, I'll we'll go top to bottom on the left side of the screen here george we'll go with you i mean of the of the top top guys I, first of all i've i've never liked betting this market i find it's far too uh aggressive too many everybody wants to bet the top five guys i think we're all aware of what goes into an mvp i will say the one that intrigues me that is a bit of a longer price is a guy like uh, Jordan Love, if Green Bay is a 12 and 13 win team and they finish as a one or two seed and he plays good enough, like I, but I wouldn't bet him at this price. That, that's, that's the yeah. problem. I, I don't like any bets at the board, but someone like Jordan Love, uh, intrigues me in, in coming out of nowhere, almost like the Jalen Hurts situation last year. Yeah. I can I can see like listen it's all relative to price so I think Jordan Love's going to have a good year would I bet him 32 to 1 no for me like Kenny Pickett is the guy that I've been standing for for a long time and I'm even more excited about him in preseason but like am I going to bet him at 40 to 1 no that's not a good enough number I don't think he can put up the numbers to win MVP I do think Cowboys logo right here Dak Prescott at almost 18 to 1 like he is in a very good situation to put yeah. up big numbers this year. And he could easily throw 40 plus touchdown passes and a ton of, uh, of passing yards. Like if you almost got to look at like, what is the, the, the floor for Mahomes and Allen and whoever else is at the top of the list. And can any of these other guys, like Justin Fields on this list is in the same price range as Dak Prescott. Like that's, that's not happening. I'm like, this is not even in the same echelon of quarterbacks so that's that's me the one that stands out you can call me a homer but i think he's the guy that can put up huge numbers jeff i don't think you can win this award unless the right unless the writers have already accepted your ability to win the award in ah. the past uh there are exceptions to that lamar would certainly be the case but jordan love would have to not run like lamar but to win the award when you are not already on their psyche is almost impossible, in my yeah. opinion. Um, Lamar and I think Matt Ryan 2016 would have been in that category as well, where he wasn't like considered elite at any point and he just made the jump. But you're right. I mean, like 
You have to win the award before you actually win the award um, without actually winning. That's true about a lot of awards too. There's an article I wrote for PFF that basically said like the war that you generate in the penultimate season to your defensive player of the year is always higher than when you actually win it, except for Donald because he won it like all these years in a row. But that's true for sure. And a player like I'm going to stand here for for Justin Herbert, just to make the case in the sense that he is a player who – part of the reason people hate him so much or the hate he gets is because he's been anointed by the people who essentially vote for MVP. My point being is he's already like earned the award in the minds of the people who vote for the award. So now all he actually has to do is beat the favorite in the division. And then he's going to be in the top two or three names, but you know that Josh Allen, he's never actually won the award but he has won the like he's already had seasons worthy of the award. That is, um, I get Eric's article. I I'll hit me a link because I I believe that in my core. Obviously, there are outliers, and Lamar is the biggest one that comes to mind. But that's but that's a good point you bring up because like there's a human element to this, right? Like this is voted on, and if Josh Allen, in my opinion, is in the same league as Patrick Mahomes at the end of the year, I think Josh Allen will win the MVP. Because he's been considered that upper echelon quarterback that hasn't done it. Like, there's a little bit of voter fatigue there. But, I mean, I'm looking at some of these comments. Frank Frank, I have Fields projected for 148 yards passing in week one. Get, get the fuck out of here with Justin Fields. And 19. There's you some said, good ones in here. You said it depends on who votes. If I knew there was 50 judges uh, voting this award that have the same morals and ethics that I do. I might put a bet on Deshaun Watson. I just think he's disqualified and, and they will not make him the MVP and the face of the league for a year. Otherwise I like his price. I'm very intrigued by it. I'm surprised none of you have gotten to my pick and it's purely price. Daniel Jones at 82 to one. Like (laughs) I I, I get it. I get, I get the price. Yes. Everybody is has for one. There has been a little bit of an anointing of Daniel Jones because it's the Giants. He made forty million a year. Blah blah blah. They've added, you know, obviously Waller and Brian Dable's a fantastic play caller. So I think that the only thing is obviously how hard the Giants' schedule is, which is I think the top three or four hardest schedule in all of football. But if he overcomes that, we do know that schedule strength preseason is fairly weak as far as a signal like if this thing were to turn over and things were to be easier than expected the preseason prior on jones is low exceeding the prior it matters too and that's why prescott's a good bet as well i think that daniel jones is like the only like if i agree with george in the sense that there's not a ton of value on this board daniel jones to me if there is value on the board is like one of the few situations where payout is actually you know, reasonable relative to expectation. I agree with you. I totally get the argument, but the guy had like an average depth of target of like 0.2 yards. I'm exaggerating, but it was like, he does, he doesn't throw down field and they don't have the receivers to throw down field. So I just don't know how he racks up the yardage that is required to win this award. That's my but thing with Daniel. He's a good runner. And the thing is like when, and again, this is different than the Lamar Jackson, but I'm going to make a comparison. When Lamar Jackson won MVP, he threw for like 3,000 yards, but he threw for a ton of touchdowns and they won and and he ran for a lot. Now, Jones Jones ran for like 700 yards last year. So like if he you know stays healthy, increase that to like 850, 
then you know throws for 3,500 to 4,000 yards and stays with the same low interception rate. Like people are people, it, it's all the dumb reasons people vote for him, honestly. And and I can see it happening. I can I can see it, which is why at eighty two to one, I think that there's probably because I can actually invi- like typically when you're looking at guys that are in that price range, right? A lot of those guys were just crossing off the list right away. It's like we're just going to immediately dismiss them and be like, no, there's no hope. Like this person has no like. Why is Daniel Jones at eighty two to one, but Justin Fields is at like seventeen or nineteen to one? Like. They they have at least an equal chance, if not Daniel Jones having more of a chance, in my opinion. I, I so from that perspective, the value play, I can agree with you. Uh, we'll get to some of these other markets here. Uh, let's go to uh, producer Jason. Let's go to our defensive MVP market because this is one of uh, the favorites for George on a year in and year out basis. And I know uh, Eric, you had the Rashawn get you were on the Rashawn Gary train last year as well but ap defensive player of the year george you start to break this one down yeah this award has killed me for years i've never i've never won it but like i had miles garrett at plus 2500 when he was the chalk favorite like week 11 then he gets covid misses two weeks he's a shell of himself finishes second behind aaron donald i had max crosby the last two years at prices at like plus 5000 and and the way i like to approach this award is who has the best production versus his name recognition so who isn't a household brand yet but he produces at that level and the guy you have to scroll down he's not he can't even find him at this point oh, scroll yet. down i love that i love right. it we have to scroll you down know, you can scroll up a little bit i'm not i'm not a madman <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy looking at is um uh jalen phillips and the reason on it is i'm not just being a homer at plus 5270 this is his third year in the league right which is a big uh leap year for a lot of uh, defensive players. He's on a very good defense, surrounded by a lot of very good players. A new defensive-minded uh, defensive coordinator who's very good. PFF had him as the sixth best edge rusher in football, fifth at just pass rushing. He he didn't have the sack totals that you would expect from a guy with this kind of production, but he had the fourth best pass rush win rate win rate in the league. And we all know that. Uh, pass rush uh, win rate and pressures are a better indicator of future sacks than sacks themselves. So when I think of a guy like this, I go, wait a minute. He he's around the top six in defensive end metrics. Doesn't have the name recognition as evidenced by the price he's at. If he has that boom season and, and all of a sudden those sack numbers look real. And now he's got Bradley Chubb on the other side. Like there's a lot more people to focus in on than just him. A guy like Jalen Phillips is very interesting at a price like that. Mind you, I never win in this so in this thing. I'm just very good at figuring out who will, who will get into the top five. He's very good at figuring out who's going to be like eighteen to one next year. Priest, <laughs> I'm just all I'm saying is, uh, you know, Rashawn Slater working his way back first game, three sacks, start the season, cash it, you know, and Jalen Phillips is uh, is running. Here we go. The rivalries begin. Week one. Uh, I forgot about that game. Uh, I, I think I saw Aaron Donald like plus twenty four hundred on that list. I'm sorry, but I'm gonna like I I know the Rams suck, but there's a decent chance Aaron Donald's playing for a different team by the end of the season, potentially making a playoff push. The guy's won Defensive Player of the Year three times before, and like 
he's the defensive tackle can do. I think Eric, you're probably you're better with trivia than me, but I think the last defensive tackle before him was Warren Sapp in like the late nineties to win this award. Mm -hmm. So he's shown that he can do it. He's a beast. Voters recognize how much of a beast he is on a play by play basis. I think that one is like pretty mispriced. Honest, like Aiden Hutchinson is in the same range as Aaron Donald. I'm sorry, but like, what what are we doing here? Type of situation. Yeah. Um, can I offer a name where I don't, and this is me not liking the player, but liking the price. Cause I actually think it was a terrible draft pick. I think he's, but he's got a good situation set up for him. What about 75 for, to one for Trayvon Walker? Okay. That's a okay. crappy division. That's a lot of bad, that's rookie quarterbacks holding onto the ball across the board and the Tennessee Titans, Tannehill top five sack rate, like every year, you know, if he comes out and everybody in the draft who liked him in the draft, he comes out with 15 and a half sacks. Jacksonville goes 12 and five in the AFC. It's not a bad look. I mean, who else on that defense is going to get shine? Uh, I think that defense is going to get worked is the problem. I think that defense is going to get worked. I agree with you, but I 75 to one is not a bad hedge against that. I agree. I like Daniel Jones, 82 to one better than I like Trayvon Walker, 75 to one. That's just me. But listen, I mean, uh, I've been wrong many times before, and these are long shot, long shot picks. Uh, what's the closest that rookie has come to winning defensive player of the year? And why will Jalen Carter do it this year? Um, I, I don't know. I actually don't know off the top of my head who's been the closest. I don't think it's ever happened where a rookie has won it. Was it like Javon Hurts maybe was one that was close? Yeah. I mean, like you this can is make a, a case I'm, toss could have been close last year. Mm, true. I don't know yeah, if he actually was close, but in terms of performance. Well, well, two, two years ago, Micah Parsons, I guess as well. Yeah. I mean, he won defensive play a rookie of the year. So maybe, I mean, I wonder what the voting was like specifically in those years, but as a rookie, I don't Chase know that Young might have. I mean, when when you look at the guys who have won Defensive Rookie of the Year recently, right? Whether that's Sauce Parsons, Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Shaq Leonard, like those guys had incredible seasons when they won, but they just never sniffed the actual rookie defense defensive rook. No, sorry, defensive player of the year. Yeah, Chase Young felt like a, a good shout there, but at 50 to one, he's that's not as good of a bet as Trayvon Walker, 75 to one. So like yeah. What would it take for an inside linebacker what about, like what about, Jalen, what about Jalen Phillips? You, like we're projecting guys to take massive leaps. Phillips is already there. He's his leap is there, but he's just not a household name. There I don't think we gave, we've given you your Dolphins Homer hour already. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, Jason Cooper, I want this thing clipped. So when Jalen Phillips finishes fourth, no, I, I respect Jalen Phillips being 18 to one in next year's preseason market, but I don't think it's, he has to play like three times because of, yeah, it's it, the popularity, the name value. Yeah, I don't know. By, it's by, such... by midseason, it could be like 20 to 1, and we'll be like, oh, George has a chance here, but the, do does he? Does he have a chance is the real question. <laughs> I mean, listen, I I can see it. I can see. I'm not I'm not gonna be the guy that says no, there's no chance. I can definitely see it. Um any most other awards for market? these award for these awards, Rob, most people like to wait until like these markets are defined, like they've pretty much whittled down to two or three players, and then 
they sort of can catch a stay a line after like a big moment is essentially like how I see most betters play. Like when the market was hanging Jalen Hurts minus 150 for MVP, like after Mahomes threw three picks in a game. Yeah, and I know it can backfire, but usually you see the betters like wait for it to be a defined three-person market, then wait for the books to 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 do something stale or leave it stale. Yeah, just like that. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad angle of attack. Um, we'll we'll go through some. If anyone else is passionate about a player or a team that they think is still off in um, in awards markets, um, feel free to chime in. But let's look at the defensive rookie of the year winners. Uh, Jason, if we can get that up on screen. And um, we did one of the first forward progresses we did earlier this year. I talked about Emmanuel Forbes. And at that time, he was in like the 20 to 1 range. He's now 14 to 1 at Pinnacle. But I like to look for guys that are just going to be on the field a lot. And Deontay Banks right now is like roughly 21 to 1. Talk about a guy who is very likely going to face a ton of targets from very good receivers earlier in the year. And like if guys like AJ Brown and Devonte Smith and CD lamb and like Terry McLaurin don't have big games, I th- can see that the case for him builds up very quickly for the amount of time that he's going to see the field. So that was one that I bet personally earlier this week, it's not a super long shot, but relative to some of the guys in front of him um, who might not be every down players, and just the like target share that I think he's going to face defensively, I think Deontay Banks is worth a bet right now. I uh, tend to stay away from corners in general. I like there's only been three winners in the last 25 years. Uh, yep. Sauce Gardner, one of them. I think Lattimore was the other, and I think Marcus Peters because he like had a lot of injuries. It, it's it tends to be a harder position for rookies to to adjust to, whereas like a pass rusher, all he has to do is beat his tackle. Like uh, his, his duties aren't a, a, as much as a corner. I like to end up looking at edge rushers and linebackers. Unfortunately, I I don't like the Will Anderson price that's left. I like Jack Campbell. I, I think when Detroit drafted him, they obviously have very big plans. They don't have the strongest linebacking core. He's going to be asked to do a lot. And, and and this award sometimes is a cumulative stats award. Like when Marcus Peters won, it's like he's got six or seven picks. If Jack Campbell comes out and has 150 tackles and a couple sacks, uh, I think he's going to be in the running for this award um, by the end of the year. Fair enough. I just would rather pass- eat a shoe. I'd rather eat a shoe <laughs> than bet a Lions player to win an award this year. <laughs> It does seem like, you know, as Rob a few minutes ago listed off the past winners, it's a pretty pedigree list that have all pretty come with high-profile draft positions. So we haven't really seen that, like, late first-round corner who's going to play a ton or anything uh, like that. Like, even sniff this thing the last couple. Yeah, like, Tarek Woolen was actually maybe just as good of a case last year as Sauce. And because he's a fifth-round pick, like, To Jeff's point, it's all about priors to an extent. Well, I see what George did there with uh, how he manipulated the trends in his favor. He said three cornerbacks in the last 25 years when it's also been three cornerbacks in the last eight years. So I'm very in tune with what George was doing there in terms of... uh, There you go. The classic tote tactic. Uh, Eric, maybe you could speak to this a little bit. Uh, Thoughts on Felix and Udike Uzoma. 
he's gonna have some he's gonna have some reps because there's no Chris Jones and there's no um Charles Amenahu in the first six weeks at least. So he's gonna get a chance. I don't expect much out of him right away. I, I agree with Jeff. Like back half of the first round, those guys might as well be second rounders. And you know, I think you're just looking elsewhere. I think he's gonna be eventually a decent NFL pro, but think about how much or how productive George Karloftis was last year and think yep. kind of in that range. Yeah. There's uh there's one more question I want to get to here because it's very pertinent. Uh, for those that don't know, Jeff Feinberg is a Damar Hamlin truther um, in the sense that um, <laughs> he might have been replaced by another person. Uh, we don't know what, but Jeff is a truther. And uh, he recorded a video here on Ford Progress saying that Damar Hamlin is not going to win comeback yep. player of the year. And he's pretty much under minus 300 at most locations right now. It's like an implied probability in like the 75 to 80% range. I am of the opinion that if DeMar Hamlin plays like 10 snaps this year, he is going to win comeback. The man died on the field and was returned to life. Like, I I don't know. Comeback player of the year. What was his record set of a leg and like a higher interception than touchdown ratio? Like, yeah. Yes, Alex Smith's journey back to the field, Eric, like, Think about the rehab, the nights, the months in a goddamn hospital bed. This guy, it was the scariest situation. He died. All he had to do was wake up. All he had to do was wake up. <laughs> and like he was from the moment like we were in April or, or like there was always like, yeah, it's a pretty clean bill of health when they were parading him around the Super Bowl, whether that was the real one or not. They, a joke. Um I, there was never a question really whether he would be playing. Rob is right. It is like an 80% implied win rate, but that is today. Today, once players who actually contribute to their teams having um, great success start having that success, this is going to be closer to like 50 50. My, like, okay, so it's a bold call. My bold take on the season is the field versus DeMar Hamlin. If I'm picking on a minus 400, that's a bold call. I, I don't know. that That's where I stand. You know I mean, how, the, uh, go ahead, George. What are you going to say, Rob? I was going to say, you know how sports books, uh, they want to be the first to grade a winner and they'll even go early, like, <laughs> if they got a big enough lead. There's going to be a sports book that comes out <laughs> week one, grades him a winner. It gets Congrats a lot on your seventy-five dollars to win twenty-five. Yeah, a hundred percent. They're gonna they're gonna grade oh, out the winner week one. To me, it's yes. an Alex Smith price, but it isn't the Alex Smith situation. Like I, I don't know. I that's, that's it's not because it's it's a million times worse. Alex yeah. Smith didn't die on the field. This we man, not, his we heart the game for the first they, time they, in history. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they're great. So the training they staff stopped like, playing. They the, 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 the teams were so rattled for two hours. Everyone was in tears. Like this guy just has to show up. Like he just has to play a few snaps, and and this is shoot in. And George, great point. You might get those early payouts as well on this market <laughs> because it's amazing. no, I uh, I'll take the Jeff field. against the world. I'll Jeff take and the Skip Bayless the with the hot takes on Demar Hamlin. <laughs> No, yeah. yeah, I'm stepping in front of a dead man. I'm just, it was scary, but it wasn't impressive. Like, Jeff is going to be arguing with Richard Sherman and Michael Irvin like a year from now. He's just, no, I, this is his, this is his claim to fame here. Oh, 
Yeah, it'll, it's probably a really dumb take. And I wouldn't. I, the funny thing is, I don't have a player I want to bet either. There's no one I like enough. I'm just saying, I would. Uh, if someone gave me a fair number on the field versus Hamlin, I would take it. I mean, I'll give you a fair number on the field. It's just, I, I'll even give you. I'll give you flat. Like I, I minus two eighty five right now, Hamlin. I'll give you plus two eighty five on field. <laughs> Jeff's thinking about it. Look at him. Yeah, we'll, we'll do sure. we'll do three to one rounds of golf or something like that. You know, either you pay for one round or I'll pay for three. There we go. Even better for you, three to one. Sure. I'm giving you bet, giving you an arb price right now. Yeah, sure. There, we've made a Done. bet. Witness Eric and and George and uh, our viewers as witnesses. And our viewers as witnesses. Before we wrap this up here, uh, thank you everyone who joined us. But I did want to let everyone know, first of all, if you made it this far, you've obviously liked the content or else you would have checked out a long time ago. So make sure you smash that like button. If you're not subscribed to Forward Progress, please do so. Helps us grow. Helps other people find us. And if you turn on bell notifications, you'll get notified every single time that we go live here on the channel. But this year, we will be live six days a week throughout football season monday through friday this time 2 to 3 p.m eastern time we have a jam-packed group of shows monday george with fabian somer and clev ta they'll be recapping the weekend that was look ahead to some early lines that are available and where they think that they're going to move tuesdays we have george with sharp clark if you haven't checked out sharp clark's interview with george on 90 degrees do that it was really good but they're going to be doing a little bit more of uh, evaluating some player tape and projecting things going forwards on Tuesdays. Wednesdays, for those who watched the Matchbook podcast before, I'm not going to be a part of that this year. That's because we're kind of doing our own this year. The Pinnacle podcast, Wednesdays, it's me, it's Eager, it's Hitman, it's Suma. It's an hour long, biggest games of the week, our favorite bets of the week. That's Wednesday, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern time every single week. Thursday. Our producer, Jason Cooper, will be on with Hitman and Eric Eager. They're breaking down Thursday night football. They're talking survivor pools. They're doing a market watch. Basically, how have the lines moved? Why have they moved? And do they like those moves? Or are they willing to oppose them? Fridays, not officially locked down yet, but George is hosting on Fridays. And we have two player prop specialists that will be coming in. They won't disappoint they're big names. They work for very well-established companies, just not officially announced just yet. You can stay tuned to our Twitter account for an announcement based off of that. But that's Friday, Player Props Edition. And then Sundays per usual. Myself in the morning, 11 a.m. It's the pizza buffet, top to bottom. I'm going through the board. I'll try not to lose money, but it's coin flips on Sunday morning. So we're going to see what happens this year. And then 8 p.m. Eastern time at night, it's myself. It's Clive Bixby. Again, we're back with Forward Progress recapping the day that was, projecting what the lines are going to be for the upcoming week. Six days a week, live content. There's going to be more mixed into that as well. Make sure you're subscribed right here on Forward Progress. Let your friends know. Tell everyone that you associate with that cares about the NFL to check out Forward Progress this year. I promise you, we have worked very, very hard to assemble this team. We're gracious for the Pinnacle sponsorship as well, and we have a ton in store for this year. First show is TBD for next week, but likely going to be on Wednesday with myself, Eric, Hitman, Suma. We're going to break down the entire week one card. Thank you, everyone, to tune that tuned in. 
We'll catch everyone next time. This has been Forward Progress, part of the Hammer Betting Network, presented by Pinnacle, one week away from NFL. Let's get there.